everybody, thanks for joining today. Um, our guest is David Goldfisher. Actually, David's an attorney in our office who runs our landlord-tenant department. Um, deals with a lot of rent regulation issues. Uh, as you can imagine, in today's world, everybody has questions about residential commercial rents, landlords, and tenants. So a lot of uh, practical information that he's going to share with us today. Yeah, David was, uh, was, was pretty insightful in a lot of what he talked about. And, you know, I think you and I, Andrew, see in our practice, the landlord-tenant relationship has become the most highly contested situation that I've ever seen in my career, quite frankly. And this COVID has changed everything. Tenants don't feel like they can get into their office and practice their business or do their business, whether they're retail, uh, whether they're residential. So David really gives a lot of good insight that landlord and tenants definitely questions people have that they want to hear answers to. So with that, let's go over to the interview now, everyone. Today we're excited to have David Goldfisher with us, our very own landlord tenant rent regulation specialist. He chairs up our group. Uh, David's got a lot of great insight today he's going to give us. Uh, on some of the real, quite frankly, the topics that are coming up every day uh, with COVID-19 and how it's affected landlord-tenant relationships. So David, uh, I guess just from a personal standpoint, I know you're uh, down in Florida. So what, um, tell us about you, the family, what uh, prompted you, uh, what's your plan for the next uh, few weeks, next few months? Yeah, well, obviously it's a little better here. I went from, uh, went from an apartment with my two kids to, uh, a nice home, we have grass, a pool, the kids are loving it. Um, so it's been great from a personal standpoint. Um, I definitely miss the office though. Um, you know, the level of efficiency in the office I think is unmatched. So, you know, despite getting to see my kids run into my office on a, you know, hourly basis, I definitely miss the office, hoping to get back there soon. Um, you know, also things in Florida aren't too great as far as the virus is concerned. So um, hopefully we can all get back to the office within the next couple of weeks and, um, back to what we do best yeah for sure we've been doing you know a ton of these zooms um and and i've told the real estate community it's probably the, the hottest topic out there you know whether you're in real estate or not everybody knows somebody in new york who has a rental question you know do i pay my rent can i use my security deposit instead of paying rent um you know where is the housing court going to lead us you know if i'm a landlord what do i need to worry about so i guess what are some of the hot button topics that are really still relevant now? And, and, you know, um, is there any sign of like where the city's heading with, with certain decisions? Give us a little background on, you know, I mean, you've been dealing with these questions probably, you know, 20 to 50 questions a day, every day for the past three, four months. Maybe just yes. start with the, just the current, what the current situation is with the courts. What can landlord and tenants do? Yeah, so you know, from a housing court perspective, landlord and tenant, um, you know, they're still coming in at a, only a trickle, slowly but surely. You know, housing court finally caught up to the rest of the world, and they allow electronic filing now. Um, it's a relatively new system for them, so it's also in the infancy period. So we're all trying to adjust and see how that plays out. Um, right now, in housing court, they're starting to take the cases that were on the docket right when the pandemic hit and things shut down. So, um, you know, it, we're, we're going backwards right now. We're trying to take care of all those index numbers and all those cases that were just sitting there for the last couple of months. And hopefully as things progress, um, the current cases will be caught up to. But, um, you know, landlords that are looking to start cases now, they're going to Supreme Court. And that's an interesting, um, you know, development because obviously in, pa in the past, if you had a landlord-tenant issue, of course you go to housing court. But now that's not really uh, a great venue for us. So we have to go to Supreme Court. And Supreme Court in general 
um, you know, that wasn't the typical place that they would hear housing court issues. So there's a lot of case law and precedent as, as far as that's concerned. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out over the next couple of months. And, you know, another interesting development that's happened over the past um, couple of months is that at the outset of this pandemic, you know, there was a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of talk and a lot of calls from both the press, elected officials, the media, et cetera, about rent strikes and bills that were going to be legislated and introduced that would prevent a, a level of relief for tenants. But, you know, that hasn't happened. You know, as we sit here today on July 24th, there's been no legislation, no law, no edict from the elected officials that relieve a tenant from rent. And if you would have asked me on, you know, March 25th or 26th, when these bills were initially introduced, I was, you know, I was under the impression that these bills were going to be signed any day. Obviously, that hasn't been the case. And as we sit here today, um, the level of relief hasn't been uh, too great for either party. Um, and, you know, it's quite frankly, it's a very tough conversation to have with landlords right now because, you know, we all know about how notoriously friendly the courts in New York City are for tenants. And, you know, putting aside the rent laws of last year, which, you know, shifted that balance of power tremendously to the tenants, um, this has only emboldened tenants even further, this whole, you know, pandemic that, you know, there's been no relief. And we see people leaving their apartments, breaching rents, not paying, uh, not paying rents, breaching leases. It's, uh, it's pretty chaotic out there. What about commercial rents, whether it be office space, retail space? What about retail delis that may have a buffet that weren't even allowed to be open? Is there any type of frustration of purpose or any legal doctrine a tenant can avail themselves in this situation when they weren't able to actually get to their space and use their space? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. So it's very interesting. You know, these, these arguments, these contractual arguments were typically never really came into play, um, you know, in regards to leases, you know, frustration of purpose, the doctrine of impossibility, things of that nature. Now we're going to we're going to see those arguments be made right and left. You know, I signed, like you mentioned, I signed the lease to function as a buffet, uh, you know, a lunch spot where people come and just you know grab what they eat. Obviously, we can't have that anymore. Um, so how am I supposed to operate my business? You know, absent you know doing complete one eighty, which is not what my lease called for. So these document these arguments are certainly um, going to come to the forefront right now. And it's interesting also, we're seeing some of these arguments being made as well on residential leases, which again, would have been a totally foreign concept, you know, six to eight months ago. So what, I guess, what's the key to success? I mean, if someone is dealing with an issue, let's say they're a tenant, um, there's, there's no black and white answer right now, right? So how do you go about it? What's the first step? You know, do you call a lawyer? Do you call the landlord? Do you speak to a real estate broker? You know, what's... I guess, I mean, every, every situation is different, but just some general advice on how to deal with these situations. Yeah, you know, I, I, I've been saying this, you know, since, since we started doing all these webinars and, and, and presentations, I think that communication is really key. You know, unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of times, I get you know, calls every day from both landlords and tenants saying, I'm trying to reach out to the other party, figure out what's going on, but they're just ghosting me, not answering my calls, emails, texts, et cetera. I, I don't think that's the best way to handle it. I think that communication is really key. And at the end of the day, what I realized is that each party just craves a level of flexibility. We all have to be open-minded and come up with creative solutions here. That's what it takes. You know, the, the, the typical avenues we would have used to solve these issues, such as, you know, non-payment proceedings or holdover proceedings, things of that nature, they might, they're not the best answer anymore. So we have to be a little creative, uh, maintain a level of flexibility, come up with solutions. You know, at the end of the day, each party has a point at, at which they're willing to negotiate and willing to come to an agreement. So just a matter of, you know, focusing on that, leveraging all your contacts, you know, Andrew, as you mentioned, the broker, the managing agent, whoever it may be, 
um, if the other party is just totally ghosting you. Try to leverage the other parties and get their attention. Say, hey, listen, this is what I need. Let's try to put our heads together, come to the negotiating table, and and let's get an agreement. And I've seen, you know, thankfully, I've seen over the past few months, I've seen a lot of deals and a lot of uh, a lot of happy parties work things out this way. I think a lot of people have a question on timing. So if you're a landlord or a tenant, whether it be commercial or residential, what's the timing if a landlord brings an action against a tenant for non-payment? Obviously, the tenant may have some reasons why they didn't pay, but if a landlord were to go through the full process in court, whether it be housing court or whether it be Supreme Court, what's the ultimate timing that they would get a judgment against the tenant? Because I think a lot of, a lot of people are under a misnomer as to what the timing is, and if people understood the timing, that might help bring people to negotiate a little bit better. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the first step, obviously, is always to file a rent demand. That's always number one. And we know the rules changed a bit last year with the demand. It used to be a five-day notice. Now it's a 14-day notice. But starting with the rent demand is always number one. And, you know, from a landlord's perspective, even if you can't, you know, if you won't get into court for a couple of months, you still should preserve your legal right and serve the tenants with these rent demands. There's no reason to let it lapse. No reason to just ignore it. Um, that being said, it's going to take a number of months, even upwards of a year, to get a judgment. And, you know, a common question I get from tenants all the time, tenants are very concerned about their credit. Right? Is my credit going to get nicked um, if my landlord serves me with the rent demand? One thing to keep in mind is that you know 98% of these cases end up getting settled at some point. So um, you know, on the one hand, from the tenant's perspective, if it does get settled, obviously it won't harm your credit as there won't be a judgment against you. But from the landlord's perspective, that might be a way to sort of hit the pressure point on the tenant and bring them to the negotiating table. Say, hey, listen, I'm taking this seriously. I'm serving you with a rent demand now. It's only going to accrue every month you don't pay rent. We're going to get you know in front of a judge eventually. Let's settle something now, and I think that's something we're going to see a lot as well. Um, one major issue that's you know been hotly contested is the fact that um, courts are now allowing tenants to raise uh, financial, uh, I guess, financial harm as a an affirmative defense for non-payment of rent. Now, the interesting thing here is that this financial loss or financial harm doesn't have to be specifically related to the COVID nineteen pandemic. It just had to have taken place during the pandemic. So it could be totally unrelated to everything corona. It's residential and commercial. So if you're a commercial yeah. tenant and you shut down your restaurant or you shut down your retail business, go through some logistics. I think landlords and tenants would love to know our audience out there. Let's say we have a situation where you have a, an LLC that's the actual tenant. That LLC is going to obviously be dissolved or go into bankruptcy if you're not going to do business. But you signed individually a good guy clause that may have a three-month notice requirement. How are the courts going to view all this? What exposure does the actual owner have individually so that people can kind of understand where the risks are? Yeah, and you know, there was, it's interesting. There was a law that was, uh, that was signed into law, a bill that was signed into law, excuse me, a couple of months ago um, that prevented guarantors, protected guarantors and commercial leases. But that didn't protect the tenants themselves. So, Alan, as you mentioned, if you have an LLC, right, and the tenant themselves, the owner of the commercial business, signed off on that uh, that guarantor as a personal, uh, right, personal individual, they can come at the owner of the space can come after them. It's a major, major risk, and it's something that you know. Again, the the case law and the precedent here isn't too deep because we can't uh, we can't open up the state legislature to see how they dealt with such issues in the COVID nineteen world. But it's going to be very interesting to see how the courts. Um, are going to proceed. You know, you, we walk down Third Avenue, every single storefront is shuttered. So how are the courts, are they we going to unilaterally um, let landlords go ahead and, and, you know, and put liens on these business owners' homes and their personal property? I mean, from a legal standpoint, they have a right to do that, right? So it, it's going to be very interesting.
any silver lining to this? I mean, I guess it's a kind of a new world in the, the city with landlord tenant. Anything that's maybe will help with efficiency going forward or, or you know, without um, getting into a pro-tenant or pro-landlord conversation, you know, just as far as, because landlord-tenant court was always, you know, kind of a headache or is it, is it worse? Is it better? Is it anything going to come of this that will help? Uh, well, I, I will say what, what I've been seeing from residential leases is that, you know, number one, like you mentioned, efficiency. Um, landlords are so fearful of losing, uh, you know, a good tenant, you know, a good tenant that has, you know, good financials. They seem to be upstanding people. Landlords are, we need leases yesterday. So I get a call and say, can you help me draft this lease, this rider? We jump on it. The tenant has, has it in hand within a couple of hours. So that's become a much more efficient process. Things are moving much, much quicker um, than they did in the past. We're also seeing a lot more clauses that are being built into these leases um, to give each party a level of protection. I think that's going to be great because, you know, this whole pandemic sort of ingrained us to expect the unexpected. So now when we're discussing and we're having negotiations about different terms and different clauses in these leases and these riders, both parties, landlords and tenants are asking, can I have this clause to protect me in this case? Or can I have, can you build in this out clause or this termination option? So there's a lot, a lot more negotiation that goes through that gets involved here. But I think at the end of the day, it serves as a level of protection for both parties in case things go sideways again. And, you know, there's a level of inability to perform under the lease. I think that's, that's a great thing to have. I guess people are more sophisticated, right? People are, are better educated, not only the attorneys, but the, the you know, the clients, the, the tenants and the landlords as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, these clauses that we're getting asked to make now, you know, eight months ago, a year ago, they never would have asked it. What, what landlord would have consented to giving the tenant an out six months into the lease? It was unheard of. But again, it's something that's become the new norm. And I think it's going to continue on like this for, the, for an indefinite period of time now. Tell me a little bit about using your rent security to pay rent that you haven't made, let's say, between April and now. I know that that's going on a lot. We're speaking to a lot of clients, both on the landlord and tenant side. How does that work mechanically? Yeah, so that's, for residential leases, you know, you have to be very careful if you're a landlord about unilaterally taking a deposit if a tenant doesn't pay rent. If you, let's say a tenant didn't pay rent for July and you have one month deposit, you cannot as a landlord just go ahead and apply that deposit towards rent. That's a major no-no. Um, you know, the only way you can do that is if the tenant gives you that option. It's at the sole discretion of the tenant. So they have to call you up and say, hey, listen, Mr. Landlord, I didn't pay my rent for July. I know I have one month deposit you're more than welcome to go ahead and apply it towards our rent. Now, obviously, if this happens, we have to put it in writing, make sure to memorialize it, and have a formal agreement drafted. Um, that being said, if a tenant does move out and breaches the lease in the middle of the lease term and they leave with a balance, in that case, the landlord can unilaterally go ahead and apply the deposit towards rent. Now, one interesting thing that came about was, you know, Governor Cuomo's uh, in his executive order back in April mandated that landlords must take the deposit if it's offered by the tenant. So a landlord can't say, hey, I'm not taking it. I'm going to you know, take you to court for non-payment of rent. If the tenant offers security, the landlord must take it. Now, the interesting thing there is um, also in that executive order, he mandated that tenants must repay this deposit within 90 days of using it towards rent in 12-month uh, increments, right? So every month for 12 months, they have to pay a portion of that deposit until it's totally replenished. Now, the question that's arising on a daily basis is, okay, that's, that's a great method to repay the deposit, but what happens when the tenant leaves in three months or four months? Like, they're scheduled to leave. So they're going to be long gone by the time I'm able to get my deposit replenished. And, you know, unfortunately, no landlord wants to be left um, with a tenant that doesn't have a deposit on hand for a variety of obvious reasons. But 
you know, this is something that the uh, the executive order didn't really account for, and um, it's it's harming landlords now. So I guess you know, with with so much uncertainty and the concern that the infections are rising all over the country, potentially back here in New York, I'm reading that uh, Governor Cuomo may actually start limiting restaurants and their opening as to what they've had already. What do you recommend to landlords? What do you recommend to tenants? And maybe just an overall real estate community on how we work through this uncertain time. The the ideal scenario is that both parties come up with some sort of structure. You know. And we have seen this I've come up with a structure whereby, um, you know, rent is abated for X amount of uh, months, you know, during the pandemic, when the store, the, the restaurant, whatever it is, was shut down, perhaps extend the lease, build it on, build in that loss of rent on the back end somehow. There are a lot of creative ways to go about it. And we have, I have seen many of uh, our landlord clients actually successfully negotiate this with their tenants. Um, you know, on the flip side, it's, it's, um, it's hard to think that the state legislator won't pass some level of relief for landlords and tenants at this point um, on the commercial end. You know, obviously many, many, it, a business shuts down that's still going to harm the landlord. Landlord still has bills and mortgages to pay. So there's going to have to be some relief probably in, probably in the way in the form of a tax abatement or something along those lines for the landlord, I would imagine. Um, again, it's, it's, you know, none of us can accurately forecast exactly what's going to happen, but, it's hard to foresee that the state just lets it go on as is because again, with all these businesses shut down, landlords aren't going to be able to pay their mortgage. They're going to enter into forbearance. It's going to be a nightmare. So I think at some point someone's going to step in, but until that happens, I would recommend, listen, if you're a landlord, you're a, a commercial tenant who's a successful business owner for a number of years, you know, absent anything crazy happening, hopefully at some point they can get back to that point and, you know, continue with their business as they were prior to all this happening. So um, I think that there's a level of patience, a level of flexibility that's needed for all parties. And hopefully um, we have some light in the tunnel in a couple of months, even if it's years, we see everything return back to what it was prior. Great. Well, thank you, David. I think this has been very insightful. Uh, the landlord-tenant relationship has surely been tested over these last four or five months. And I think the courts uh, have a lot on their hands. And quite frankly, a lot of it becomes political. So uh, the, future, uh, the future is bright. But surely uh, a lot of question marks out there. Yeah, we've got to navigate through this, and uh, I think we'll come out uh, we'll come out better on the other side. All right, thank you, David. Thanks for having me, guys. Be well. You can listen to the comeback on Spotify or watch our interviews on YouTube.